take your seats. I'm going to encourage you to actually grab a Bible if you didn't bring your own. Just look right in front of you or below you. Turn to Isaiah 64 as we go through this passage. We have been in Isaiah for the past several weeks, and we decided to continue in Isaiah for this Advent season. In Isaiah 64, you may not think of it as like an Advent uh, passage, but it is, and you're going to see why today. What we have in Isaiah is envisioning hundreds of years into the future, he envisions his own people suffering in Babylon. Now, the reality is that history, uh, it bears it to be true that Isaiah correctly predicted that the Babylonian army would plunder and pillage the southern kingdom of Judah, and it would take the Jews captive by destroying the capital, Jerusalem. And what Isaiah does, again, hundreds of years before this event even uh, happen as we're hearing these words, he models for them a prayer that they should not lose faith in Yahweh and instead to turn to him and ask him to come down. And God will eventually answer Isaiah's prayer again hundreds of years later as the captives will be miraculously set free after 70 years of exile. And they're going to return and rebuild Jerusalem. And then Isaiah's prayer will be answered again in a different way, because there will be a long-awaited king who will emerge, who will turn the wayward hearts of these sinful people, and will turn the hearts back to God. And this new king will do it, not by taking an earthly throne, but by taking a tortuous cross. And so Isaiah 64 really is an Advent passage that we'll look at today. Now, I don't know if you had heard this, but in 2020, there was a survey of Americans that was done, and here's a concerning statistic that over 60% of what they call born-again Christians in America, between the ages of 18 and 39, believe this, that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are all valid forms and paths of salvation. That's amongst Christians. And yet in Mark 13, 26, Jesus' words about his second advent is this, and then they, which is the word, will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And so, so we are all clear today. The only one coming back is Jesus. Muhammad's not coming back for you. Buddha's not coming back for you. Not even your beloved uncle is coming back for you. It's just Jesus. And Isaiah is going to be praying a prayer that's going to get our hearts and minds ready for Jesus's second advent. Jesus is the Messiah that Isaiah predicted rightly, whose life and death and resurrection would be the plan of how God would bridge the gap between a perfect and holy God and sinful humanity. Jesus in his first advent answered that prophecy correctly. And today, we want you to sense this longing inside of you to embrace Jesus the King, yes, who came, but also is coming again, and embrace him over every area of your life. That Advent is a season, not just prepare for eggnog and gifts, wonderful, but more importantly, prepare yourself for Jesus to reveal himself to you, maybe in a fresh and a new way. And so we're, to con we're going to consider this ancient prayer of Isaiah, and I see four things in Isaiah 64, four aspects of the prayer I want to point out to you. First of all, it's a prayer for God to come down. Secondly, it's a prayer for God to reveal himself. 
Thirdly, it's a prayer for God to forgive us. And then fourthly, it's a prayer for God to restore us. Look at verse one with me. We'll read it again. Here's Isaiah saying, Oh, that you, Lord, would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. What a scene that Isaiah is painting in this prayer. You see, fire was a sign of God's presence. You see, throughout Israel's history, and Isaiah's praying for God's presence to be revealed again. He sees the heavens as almost like this vast curtain, and he's asking God to tear it apart and come down. Step down, God, and enter into our story. Show up, God. We need you. I just want to pause right now because some of you showed up today. You got dragged here. You thought you were going to get some cappuccino, and you're in a church sermon right now. I want to let you know you're not here by accident. And maybe you're finding in your heart and mind saying to yourself as well, Lord, I've had to be honest, I need some intervention in my life. I need something or someone to enter into my story. You're not here by accident because there's a God who wants to enter into your story. And we're going to tell you what that could look like. It's a prayer for God to enter this world. And then in verse two, Isaiah continues, Lord, make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. You see, what Israel's doing, he's recounting how in the past God used to show up in power. God, do it again. God, will you come and undo all the bad? How often have we yearned to see God come down and make a difference? And for us even to pause, especially for us Christians to remember God, how have you shown your faithfulness in the past? That Advent's a great season to remember answered prayers, to remember God's power being made known. And for some of you, maybe you're saying, well, I've never seen or experienced anything to that. And maybe then this is the day that God's power will be made known to you as you come to saving faith in him. That is the most powerful thing that can happen. Yes, miracles do happen. Yes, healings do happen. Prophecies are fulfilled. But maybe you haven't yet crossed over that threshold of faith and say, I need God to come down into me, into my life. I need an intervention. I need a savior. In verse three, Isaiah says, when you, God, did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence, I'm sure Isaiah's thinking about all these great stories of old when God's power was made so clear. And he's praying that for the Babylonian captives a hundred plus years in the future that they would say this same prayer. And you have to imagine, as the Babylonian captives, again, Isaiah's long dead, and they discover the Isaiah scroll, and they open up to this portion, Isaiah 64. They are challenged to remember God's past faithfulness while they're in exile, in prison, suffering under an oppressive regime. And Isaiah is saying, God, look at your people. Will you come down? And see, it's an opportunity for God's people to remember God's past faithfulness amidst their current circumstances. And this is an opportunity for you on the first Sunday of Advent to remember God's faithfulness in the midst of your current circumstances, your financial circumstances, the relational brokenness, 
the unanswered prayer in your life. It's a chance for you to remember. It's an opportunity for God's people of all times to remember God's past provision that will inform the reality of his future faithfulness. Here's your opportunity the first Sunday of Advent to remember and then to believe. They're to remember God's past provision in Egypt, in the wilderness, in the land of Canaan when God gave them victory. All these times when God's power and might were evident. So God reveals to Isaiah a prayer. And the prayer that Isaiah prays is, God, would you come down? And maybe some of you just want to silently say, Lord, I need you to come down in my life. I'm in need of you to show up today. Look at verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Say the word wait with me. Wait. Advent is all about waiting. See, the prophet claims that no one has seen the fullness of God's glory, and yet throughout history, God has revealed his will to his people. And he shows himself, first of all, through the beauty of his creation. How many of you saw a sunset this past week in Carmel that you're just thinking, this one is for the books? I mean, unbelievable. And this whole next week, it's going to be unbelievable. Or maybe you weren't here, but maybe somewhere else you've seen God's beauty and his majesty in creation. Or maybe you've seen a baby and you realize this is God's creation. Or maybe you've seen an answered prayer and you're marveling at God's Amazing. Thank you. That was on cue, the baby saying, yeah, I'm here. You are beautiful because God made you. And guess what? All of you 18-year-old babies and 88-year-old babies, God still thinks you're beautiful. You are made in his image. His gaze hasn't changed. As those babies grow up, we kind of get, you know, a little jaded when they start talking back to you. And they do. Sometimes at age two, they talk back to you. God's not jaded. He sees you today. And he sees his own beauty made in you. When we see God's beauty in creation, when we see God act through the history of, of the faithfulness of the Jews, through his covenants, through the Mosaic law, through the miraculous acts of power, yes, parting a Red Sea and a, and a, and a cloud by day and a fire by night, and the powerful words of the prophets. This prophet, Isaiah, is waiting for God to reveal himself again like in days of old. Well, we have eyes to see God's faithfulness. See, and Isaiah knows what it's like to wait for God to act. And guess what? I don't like to wait. And that's exactly what Isaiah says we need to do. You see, we live in an instant gratification society, don't we? We expect same-day delivery, don't we, right? Groceries prepared for us to pick up within two hours. Lightning fast internet service. Now I'm going to date myself. Anyone remember there was this thing and you had to click and you had to like get your phone and plug in a phone jack into your computer. It would make this crazy sound. like and You had to wait and things would just spin. And that was just to connect, okay? Just to connect to this thing called the internet, okay? So we don't like to wait. We expect high-speed, instant, gigabit, multiple gigabit-speed internet service everywhere we go. Now, one study revealed, this was 10 years ago, habits of 
million video streamers over a period of years, and they tested them to see how long they were willing to wait for a video to start loading before they would lose interest. This is 10 years ago. How long do you think they were willing to wait before they lost interest? How long? Two seconds. And then they were out. I get that because when I'm at Costco, I don't like to wait. I'm that guy at Costco, I'm scanning the lines. You know what I'm looking for when I'm at checkout? You know what I'm looking for? What am I looking for? Okay, shortest line. Not really, though, only kind of. I'm looking for the least amount of product. You guys got to get with it. You don't know the thing you need to do. You can't just go with the shortest line because the shortest line sometimes has that dude who's got like 80 different products. No, no, no. You got to go with that other person who's got the giant paper towels and the giant toilet paper. You're like, I'm good going to be quick. That's what I'm doing. I'm scanning the lines at Costco because I hate the wait. I've lost the ability to wait. But Advent is all about what? Waiting. See, there's a price for immediate gratification, and the price is the formation of an impatient people. I wrote this sermon for me. I think I wrote it for you. The price of instant gratification is the formation, the shaping, the training of you all to not be able to wait. And that affects your financial life and your relational life and your professional life and your spiritual life. Advent is all about waiting. And learning to wait is one of the primary skills, I think, in this Advent season that God wants to develop in you. Do you need to learn to wait like your pastor, Advent's a great opportunity. You know, when my uh, Avery, who's now 12, when she was little, little, like maybe just one, just learning to walk and talk, I would come home and sometimes I'd come home and bursting out of the door is this chubby little baby. She was really chubby back then. She's not at all now, but she was so cute and chubby. She'd run out and say, Papa, 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 just waiting for me. And I find out she was waiting for me, like looking outside the window, waiting, where's Papa. That's a biblical kind of waiting. That's what the Bible talks about, an expectant kind of waiting. Because waiting in the Bible is not passive, it is very active. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says something like this. So Christ will appear a second time, that's the second advent, by the way, not to deal with sin, which he did in the first advent, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So I guess learning how to wait is really important because Jesus is coming back for those eagerly waiting for him. That's a biblical waiting. Are you waiting with an expectancy? Because the Bible says God will save those who wait with hope. Those who can see God's past provision as a sign of his future faithfulness. That's Advent. That's all I want you to take a hold of. Look at verse 5. Because third, we're seeing the prophet asks for a third thing. He asks for God to forgive us. Verse 5. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you, God, were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and we shall. And shall we be saved? And we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our, unri- our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Verse 7, 
There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Iniquities is another fancy way of saying sin. And sin is a fancy way of saying there's something wrong in us and something that we cannot fix. And we need something outside of us to fix a thing that's wrong in us. We need God to forgive us. See, the prayer first asks God to come down, and then secondly asks God to reveal himself. And now the prayer shifts to God to forgive us, and this is the right direction to go. Because even our best attempts at being good in comparison to God's glory are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64 says. This last week, I was saying how all of our human efforts to try to reach God is like us trying to get to the moon, right? And no matter what we do, I can climb the tallest building, I can climb Mount Everest, I will be closer to the moon, but guess what? I am never going to get there without some major outside intervention, right? All of us on planet Earth are like people trying to get to the moon by climbing another building, climbing another mountain. We need God to come down and to restore us, and then we get access to being God's family through Jesus as we confess our sins. Isaiah reminds us with chilling clarity that why we needed Advent in the first place, we could never reach up to him. So he came down. It's our slavery to sin. It's our persistent failure. It's a cursed disobedience. They all continue to condemn us because here's the reality. When you put yourself into proximity with perfection, it will reveal and you will become aware of your deficits. God's holiness, our brokenness. And the prophet realizes that his people needed to acknowledge their sin. These future people who will be exiled in Babylon, it was because of the refusal to confess their sins. So I just want to pause for a second because every day we have an opportunity to spend time with the Lord. You Christians, us Christians, every day is an opportunity to praise the Lord, recognize his presence, confess our sins. Oh, Lord, forgive me for my indifference. Lord, forgive me for living for myself instead of for you. Lord, forgive me for holding grudges. It's a chance before you show up at church to confess your sins. But here's your opportunity now, Lord. I confess my heart is hard. I confess that This Christmas season, I'm not really thinking about you. We can confess to him. All of our best attempts at looking like God and reaching up to God are like filthy rags. You know, the word Advent, in fact, is derived from a Latin word. It's called Adventus, and it means coming. That's where we get Advent. It's a translation of the Greek word, and the Greek word is parousia, And this parousia word, we'll see, and we'll read a passage a little bit later. And scholars believe that during the 4th and 5th century in Spain and Gaul, Advent was actually a season of preparation of baptism for new converts in preparation for the January Feast of Epiphany. And that's a celebration of God's incarnation, the first Advent. And during the season of preparation, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Christians would spend 40 days during Advent in penance, in prayer, in fasting. And so that means originally Advent was a season of repentance. 
Not Good Friday or Black Friday sales, I mean, right? Buying TVs, it's a season of repentance. So we take some time this Advent to prepare ourselves for Christmas. We confess sins. And then we rely on God's grace to be made clean. We stop trying to find our hope in anything else. What an opportunity for us this Advent season. See, our proclivity towards sin means that we settle all the time for second best. All the time. And we have to get sick and tired of our sin before we'll passionately pursue God's best. That's an Advent prayer. Lord, help me to get sick and tired of my sin. Sick and tired of my indifference. Sick and tired of my hurry. Lord, help me to take in this Advent season all that you want for me. We have to get sick and tired of our sin before we're ready to eagerly await all that God has for us. So let me ask you, are you tired yet of holding grudges? Are you tired yet of always wanting more and needing more to be happy? Are you tired of it? Are you tired of blaming others? Are you tired of living with no deeper purpose? Are you tired of seeking power or possessions or control or getting people to say good things about you? Are you tired of the rat race, of this effort to get more likes and more attention? Are you tired yet? Because if you are, then maybe you're ready to eagerly await God to show up in your life in a new way. So Lord, Isaiah teaches us, forgive us for trying to fill my soul with things that never could. And may I eagerly await you, Jesus, to reveal yourself anew in my life. Lord, forgive us. And then we look to verse 8, because the prophet Isaiah is now asking God to restore us. Look at verse 8 with me. It says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. There are three names for God in this section. The first na name is Lord, which is Yahweh. And then Father, which is Av, or Ab. It kind of reminds you of Abba, right? And then Potter, which is Yatzar. And these three names all together paint a picture of a mighty God who, like a loving father, wisely nurtures his children. And why is he doing this? To restore us. To restore the eagerly awaiting, confessing people who admit, I need a change in my life. See, the prophet realizes the great truth that though we have been faithless, God remains faithful. Even though we are sick and tired of waiting for God, God hasn't tired of us. He's got a plan for those who wait. And Isaiah, what he does, he ends this prayer in Isaiah 64 with a question that gets answered in Jesus. Look at verse 12. Skip down to the very end of 64. Verse 12. Will you, God, restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? God, where are you? Isaiah says. And I'm sure there's someone in this room or someone listening who has asked that question recently. God, where are you? God, where are you? God, will you show up again? Even as I think about your past provision, I'm doubting your future faithfulness. Lord, where are you? And God answers that, Isaiah's prayer, first of all, in Jesus, 
God, will you hide yourself forever? Isaiah basically is praying and asking, and the answer is no. And what we see is the Lord God, Yahweh, shouts from the heavens. You see, our good father's love can't be held back from his wayward children. And I'm saying this, that God is ready to restore all those who realize that their best attempts at being righteous, at being good, at being fulfilled outside of Jesus, it's called sin. And it's like filthy rags compared to God's glory. And God is ready to break through again this Advent, just like he broke through by sending Jesus. He is. I can't promise you he's going to answer your prayer the way you want it. But he's still a God who answers prayers. He still is a God who heals. And maybe the great healing is to happen. There's someone today who has never confessed their sins in need of the Savior, Jesus. And you're trying to find life through these other means, through these other prophets, through these other spiritualities, but there's no other way. Maybe the great healing today will be you to finally know salvation in Christ by confessing your sins, to seeing this great gap between you and God and realizing it's only through Jesus, the one who was sent in his first advent, who bridges that gap so that you wouldn't have to because you never could make it. No matter even if you sign up for Elon Musk's moon landing trip in 2024, it's not enough. You need Jesus. God is ready to break through again for those eagerly awaiting his revelation. See, Isaiah's words, they cause us to ask if we have a holy dissatisfaction with how life is going. The dissatisfaction leads us to the proper longing. Are you longing for the right things in life? You got to check your heart. Are you wanting the things that are on God's heart? Isaiah's modeling a prayer for those in need of help. He models a longing for God to show up. He's modeling that in preparation for God to show up, that we have some changing to do ourselves. And he turns to God and asks, that we just read, where are you, God? And then Isaiah turns to himself and points to the people of God who are suffering and realizes I'm part of the problem. The finger points right back to themselves. I am part of the problem. So I asked you again, do you want God to show up in your life? Do you ever wish that someone or something would just step in and change things for the better? Do you ever get sick and tired of waiting? You see, Advent's a season of teaching us how to wait, teaching us how to long for the right things in life. I know that can get kind of difficult when we're looking at advertisement after advertisement this Christmas season. Are we longing for the right things this Advent? What if you ask God to reveal one thing in your life that needs a change? Here's something radical. What if by the time Christmas Day rolls around, God changed something significant in you? So the question for you is, what change would that need to be? What change has God been putting on your heart and mind in you that maybe this Advent season would be the season that God would enact that change? That means you need to start praying for that change, which means you start, need to start looking at places in your life where you're longing for the wrong things and saying, God, give me a new heart. Maybe you're longing for safety and comfort. Not a bad thing. But Jesus didn't promise safety and comfort. He says, you will, in this world, you will have tribulation. What are you longing for? Maybe God would answer your prayer these next few weeks to change in some significant way. 
Now, my friends are in 12-step groups. There's a Celebrate Recovery group that a couple of our leaders here at our church are partnering with Shoreline Church to lead this amazing Christ-centered 12-step group. And my friends who do 12-step groups say that the turning point to pursue health was being sick and tired of thinking about drinking. Or you put in whatever label in the blank. The turning point is when you get sick and tired of the constant lying. The turning point is when you get sick and tired of the constant comparing. When you get sick and tired of the constant shopping. You get sick and tired of the constant needing for whatever addictive behavior that you're looking for to fill your soul. You're sick and tired of it. That's a turning point. I like how Dr. Henry Cloud puts it. He says, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Consequences give us the pain that motivates us to change. You see, Advent is longing for God to come down and to reveal himself. And when he does become highly aware of our need of a savior because we are stuck in our own pain. We need to change, and only Jesus has the power to make the kind of changes that we long for, or maybe we need to start longing for. And the prophet Isaiah first asked God to come down to us, and then second, he asked God to reveal himself to us, and third, he asked God to forgive us, and fourth, he's asking God to restore us as we recognize these areas of change that are needed in places that we're stuck. I'm going to give you a bonus thing. Lastly, Jesus wants to prepare us. See, Isaiah's prayers answered hundreds of years later in God breaking through and coming down as the humble baby in Christ's first first advent, Jesus coming. But Jesus is coming again, and Isaiah's prayer will be answered again when Jesus returns and he comes down and reveals himself, this time as a conquering king in his second advent. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Mark 13. It's in the back of your Bible. And you may not think Isaiah 64 is is an Advent Christmas passage. You may not think Mark 13 is as well. But I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. We're going to see how Isaiah 64 and Mark 13 tie in together. Because in many ways, Jesus is talking about a prayer, a future prayer for God to come down in some ways. Matthew, Mark 13, Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the stars will be falling from heaven and the moon will not give its light and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. See, I'm telling you, this is an Advent passage. It's Jesus' second advent. So I want you on Christmas Day, when all the kids are sitting around ready to open their gifts, I want you to read Mark 13, okay? But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. And then just look at their eyes and say, Merry Christmas. Because Advent really is about Jesus coming, not just his first, but his second in fact, in Mark 13, verse 33, Jesus says it even more clearly. He says, be on your guard, people. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. You know, the reality is this. It wasn't until the Middle Ages, we're talking about like 1500s, 
that the Advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. In fact, there's evidence that in the 6th century in Rome, Roman Christians were practicing and practicing Advent as a way to remember the second coming of Christ. So it wasn't about his first coming in a manger in Bethlehem, but a second coming in the clouds as a judge of the world. And yes, his first Advent was an obscure entry into this backwater town of Bethlehem. But his second Advent will display his glory as the way and the truth and the life where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We'll confess him as Lord. We'll confess him as King. And see, we make ourselves ready for Christ's second Advent by holding on to the things of this world lightly. I know this Christmas we're going to spend billions of dollars just as Americans on Christmas. I'm not going to guilt you about anything. I just want you to remember that Advent is not just about his first coming, but it's about his second coming. So when we are people eagerly awaiting the second coming, we hold onto things lightly. We hold onto the treasures of this world lightly. But those who are eagerly awaiting Jesus to come again, we hold onto our troubles lightly. Not just our treasures, but also our troubles. Because Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. But then he says, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. We rightly celebrate Christ's first advent by preparing for the second. And so let me ask you as we close, what troubles are you holding on to? The grudges, the bitterness, the fear, the divisions. What are you holding on to tightly? The treasures as well. Maybe there are certain treasures that you long for or holding on to aren't quite the right treasures. What if God answered your prayer for God to make your heart more shaped into his likeness, eagerly awaiting his coming, his second coming, eagerly awaiting for him to reveal himself in the midst of your troubles? And he would answer the prayer to get you unstuck in some way that a significant change, that you'd be aware of some pain in your life. And that pain would be a revelation of a place that God has been nudging you to let go of and to let him intervene, to invite him into it. What troubles are you holding on to? What treasures are you holding on to? And guess what? You were never meant to hold on to tightly either one of those. And so today is a day, Lord Jesus, we hand them to you. Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you and as we prepare to sing more songs about you, we want to prepare our hearts to be more aligned with you. Lord, this Advent season is so easy to get caught up in so many things, but may this be a season where we allow you, invite you to examine our hearts for places that we are stuck, even sin, Lord, where we have been avoiding. Oh Lord, help us to hold lightly treasures even good things that you have given us, we hold them lightly and we hold on to you more tightly, Lord. And troubles in our life, Lord, we want to hold on to lightly as well for you have overcome the world and so King Jesus, since we know you're coming back, we remember the truth that there's no burden too great for you. There's no amount of sin in Christ, Lord, we know that repels you. Lord, thank you for your grace. 
Thank you that you receive us, your wayward children. Thank you for being a good papa with arms open wide. Receive our worship now. We ask this in your name. Amen.